Uh, I'm really excited tonight to share the story of Jesus with you. Uh, if you're new to this space or new to the app and you're watching, uh, we are a community that exists to connect people to God and to each other, and we're willing to use all means necessary and possible to do that. And so we're excited about technology. I'm excited to be here. Um, it's a little bit of different setup for us. Typically on Wednesday night in LA, we're right, uh, we're about three floors below this floor in the main auditorium of the Savant Theater, but today was Yom Kippur and the fast just ended at, uh, at sundown and just ran into the rabbi here who runs the synagogue at the Savant Theater, gave him a big hug and congratulated him. So the auditorium was in use which created an opportunity to innovate. And I think we've got like 10 different viewing, over 10, Elijah's telling me, uh, different viewing spaces and places here at Church Home on Wednesday night. Hey, wherever you are, from Singapore to Seoul, Korea, to Seattle, I'm looking for another S, to Nashville, wherever you are watching, um, we're, we're just really, really glad that you're here. Um, so there's been a, some, some excitement around these guided prayers that we've been recording, which I'm, I'm really excited about. And maybe you've seen them or heard. Chelsea and I basically just take a scripture and lead you through about a three to five minute prayer experience. And uh, we've had quite a few people uh, listen to them. Thankful, uh, thanks to a friend of ours whose last name rhymes with Lieber. And uh, Justin has posted some of these and people are excited. Chelsea and I just got done recording 26 more guided prayers that we're gonna start making available uh, on the app right here. So uh, it was an awesome full two days of recording those, but I think they're gonna be a real encouragement to you. So stay tuned. I know on the app, there's a sneak peek of like eight guided prayers. There's like eight, I think, something like that. Um, and you can make, uh, try those and see if those help. But hearing reports from friends saying, hey, it's helping me sleep or it's encouraging me or I, you know, my anxiety's going down, um, that is our passion to serve you and help you in any way you can. Again, if you're new to this space, you're gonna find out real quick, we're a Jesus community. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he's the hope of the world. Uh, I believe he saved me from all of my error, my wrong and my sin, and I am totally in love with him. Uh, today, I turned 41 and I've never been more in love with Jesus. You need to, thank you, thank you. For, <laughs> you guys are so still and so quiet. Such a wonderful studio audience here. Um, but uh, I will be referencing uh, my new age now through every sermon that I do, 41, um, which is pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. All right, uh, we're gonna continue our series on the subject of anxiety. We're actually gonna talk about other emotions as well, but this is uh, week five now, I think, on the subject. And the reason for that is just, it's such a felt need right now in our culture, uh, frankly. Um, I just heard about a friend today. Uh, he's a pastor, loves Jesus, loves God, loves his wife, his kids, but he's literally waking up at two or three in the morning almost every night now. His heart's pounding out of his chest. It's overwhelming trying to lead the community and the church that he pastors, and he's thinking, I need to get help. So whether you're a spiritual leader, wherever you work, whatever you do, a student, it seems like this, uh, these fears, these worries, these anxieties seem to be overwhelming us so often. So I want to tonight to go to the subject um, and look at the, the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus on anxiety. So I'm gonna go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're gonna begin in verse 13. Got a little bit of, little bit of work to do in terms of reading. So I'm um, gonna get your Bible reading in right now. You ready? We good? It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, 
The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I, I, I now have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will, store all, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? So is the one, Jesus says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now we have a transition. Verse 22 says, now he starts to speak. He was speaking to a crowd. Now he's speaking to his 12 disciples. And so he kind of takes it a step further, goes a little bit deeper on the subject. And it says, he says to the disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body or what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. I will say, I do not like ravens at all. I don't like Baltimore ravens, and I don't like ravens in general. That's the truth. Anyways, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you then are not able to do a small thing as this, when you worry, why are you anxious or worried about the rest? Consider the lilies. We go from ravens to lilies. We're improving. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the wealthiest man who's ever lived, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, so into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, climactic conclusion, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Listen to this. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where north no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's a fascinating passage, and we're going to get into it. We'll pray here in just a moment. But I find it very interesting that Jesus goes into the subject of anxiety, coming off speaking about possessions, things, and stuff. Right? If you ask me, hey, Judah, let's talk about anxiety, and I start talking about your stuff, I start talking about things, I start talking about possessions, you'd be like, whoa, no, 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 no. I, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't talking about greed. I was asking about anxiety, and yet Jesus seems to connect them. And I want us to kind of dig in and ask ourselves why. Why does he connect possessions, the need, greed, the need for possessions? Why, for what purpose does he say that's connected to anxiety and worry and fear. I, I think we might be on to something and we might learn a lot about how you and I, by the grace of God and the help of God, can overcome in the area of fear and worry and anxiety. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, I thank you for the moments that we share. It's really cool that we get to use technology, but God, more than that, uh, we just ask that you'd fill this space and every space watching whether it is uh, someone right now uh, in traffic, whether it is someone in a park, whether it is uh, someone in a living room or a cafe, or many of the locations that are gathered together watching, we ask that you would be present there, that you would speak to us. God, we, we are, we're approaching now a subject that is, it is, it's actually out of control. 
It is an overwhelming subject today in our modern world. And we are asking that you would give us tested and tried answers. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that the Seahawks continue to win. In Jesus' name, protect every player we have and keep them healthy. Amen, 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 amen. So Chelsea and I uh, just got our house painted recently. Not the whole house, but uh, quite a bit of it. And we were going white, right? White like these walls. And um, we were really excited about it. Got them all painted. Came back. The painter did it while we were gone. Mr. Tony is his name. Mr. Tony the painter. And he painted the walls. We're all excited. And then Chelsea and I went on another trip, and we left the house uh, with our cousins and, and, and our kids, and they have small kids, and we, we came back from a trip excited to see our kids, only to discover that the walls were less white now. They were less white, handprints everywhere. And just the other day, I was gone somewhere, and Chelsea was walking around the house, kind of taking inventory of there's a chip here, there's a hand mark there, there's a, and, and for me, that's just like, it just gets me all worked up inside. And so I was walking around, Chelsea didn't know this, but I I was doing this, uh, I think yesterday, and I was like, babe, this, I mean, we, we got to get Mr. Tony back. We got to paint the whole thing again. She's like, you know what's crazy? It's just the other day I was doing the same thing. You were gone, and I was walking around the house, and I was looking at every little chip and every little thing, and, and you know, you could say we're a little anal when it comes to our house and keeping things in order and wanting it clean and wanting it right. Um, and then she goes, you know what? I, I literally had the thought, what would you rather have? Do you, want a life, do you want a life that's just clean cut, no life in the home, nobody there? Or do you want to have some, some, some dings and some handprints? This means this home is being enjoyed. And what's crazy is I paid for a new paint job and I thought it would give me peace of mind. And the reality is now I'm all worked up about our paint job and now I'm all worked up about handprints. It's like this, this morning I come to Chelsea and I say, babe, you, I gotta tell you what I saw in Luke chapter 12. I just put the sermon together this morning and, and you know, she was, she was drinking coffee or something. I said, you know, and I kind of forced her to listen. I didn't actually ask her. And I was like, so I'm telling her about Luke chapter 12 and I just can't wait to speak about this today. And she just, I've never seen this before. And, I did it, and while I'm talking, she's like, wow, that's really good. So she starts talking, which um, sometimes I get distracted while other people are talking. And so I'm looking around our room and she stops. She goes, you know what I mean? I go, yeah, 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 yeah. We have have to finish painting that mirror. And she goes, what? Babe, it's not finished. We should paint a different color. White, black, what do you think? I don't like the brown. Do you like the brown? And she's like, you know what? This was a great conversation, completely anxiety-free until you brought up the mirror. It is so frustrating. And I'm like, don't yell at me, okay? Because I'll tell the whole church that you fight with me. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe Biggie is right. Maybe, you know, more money, more problems. The point is, sometimes it, it seems like we have things that we think are going to make our life better, but they only end up making us worry more. You, 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 my, my mom um, drove a new car of mine recently. Uh, it's the only car we have, and it's not as new as it used to be, but I had the rims painted black. Uh, and not the most quality job because I was looking for a deal. But nonetheless, uh, my mom, when she parks, um, she parks real close to the curb. I mean, real close, too close to the curb. And so I came back and my mom was with the kids and I was like, I came out in the garage, I don't know what I was looking for, probably golf clubs. And I look over and my rims are not black anymore, they are gray. They are gray all over. I, every single rim I had just been painted I know this is, ten, this, is, this is first world problems, I understand. 
But I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, Mom, what happened? She's like, what? What did I do? And I'm like, come out into the garage and look what you have done. And she's like, I'll pay you back. It's like, that's not the point, Mom. The point is you didn't even tell me. She's like, I didn't even notice. But here I am, 41. That's right, 41 today. And I'm worrying about white paint in my house. I'm worrying about a mirror being painted. And I'm worried about car rims. So think about it. You only got so much energy in life. You only got so much energy. Forget time management. I'm talking about energy management. And yet so much of our energy, if we're honest, oftentimes goes to very temporary stuff and things. And it seems like Jesus is suggesting just that. So the story goes, Jesus is speaking, or maybe there's a lull, and, the, and some guy goes, hey, Jesus, hey, teacher, right? Settle something for me. Tell my brother to give me half of my inheritance. In other words, what's right, right? So this is how the whole journey begins. And Jesus says, you got to beware of greed. He says, first of all, that's, that's not my matter. I didn't come here to make sure everybody got, okay, their retirement. That's not my matter. He says, but I would like to say this to the whole crowd. You need to be real careful about greed. Now, that poor guy had to feel a little bit bad after that. He's like, he's like in fact, let me tell you a story. There's a man, a very successful farmer, and his crops yield a plentiful crop, so much so he realizes he's got so many crops, he doesn't have a barn big enough to, to store them. So he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a bigger barn. This guy's American, you know. I'm going to build, a, he lives in Texas. I'm going to build a bigger barn, and he takes his leftover crops, he builds a bigger barn, he stores it up, and when his savings account is full and his retirement is ready to roll, and he's got the great car, he's got the big house, and the white picket fence, and the American dream, he tells himself, I'm good. I did it. I'm great. And Jesus says, and God says, that night his soul was required of him, and he died. Now who, who, who gets your stuff? It's like, wow, Jesus, tell us what you really think. And he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. First of all, a couple observations we'll make tonight. Jesus seems to be alluding to the fact as he moves into a whole diatribe on anxiety that oftentimes our anxiety is connected to temporal stuff. Temporal stuff. Now, this is a very interesting passage because it speaks volumes, particularly if I could be very direct, it speaks volumes to many of us living in the Western world. We are the home of stuff. We're the home of stuff. And by the way, Jesus never says the stuff is wrong. It's how you relate to the stuff that can be healthy or not healthy. So he tells this dramatic story, right? And the crowd dissipates. It had to be a little bit of a rough ending. Basically, he says, life is like a day. Life is like one day. And you spend all day working hard to save up your money, and you die that night. It makes you start to think, like, how would I treat stuff if I only had one day to live? You know what I mean? Would I care about the rims? Would I care about the paint with the mirror? Would I care about the white paint on the walls and the handprints if I had one day? It's an old cliche, I understand, but it is worthwhile to consider and think about how would I live? Jesus is saying, life is short. Life is short. You storing up stuff. You're giving yourself your priority as savings accounts and checkings account and retirement and things and possessions, none of which Jesus has said is bad. It's just not nearly as important as what is eternal. Jesus says now to his 12 disciples, the crowd dissipates. We don't know how the scene changes, but he turns now to the 12 and it's just 13 of them. And he says, I, I, therefore, based on what you've just heard, I want to continue the discussion. This is all connected. He says, uh, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Watch what he does. What you will eat, nor about your body, 
or what you will put on. So he says, hey, let's, let's, let, let's talk about the necessities. I don't want you to be worried about food. I don't want you to be worried about clothes. Now, we gotta, we gotta stop for a moment and ask ourselves an important question. Is Jesus saying you should never be concerned with the basics? No, I wanna say this first and foremost. It is only natural for you to go, man, I wanna make sure my babies have clothes. I wanna make sure that I got some food. I wanna make sure my fellow man has food and clothes. Yes, this speaks to some of the basics, but if you look at the context, remember it was greed, it was covetousness, and he connects that to anxiety. So this is not so much a teaching on you shouldn't be worried about clothing your body. You should just be naked with no food. No, that's, that's not, no, he's a good father. What he is saying, what he's uncovering for us is maybe a very significant source of our worry, our fear, and our anxiety, and that is we don't like the food and clothes we have, we want more, right? Remember how this whole thing started? Some guy in the crowd's like, hey, hey, tell my brother I want my inheritance too, right? I'm not happy with what I have, I want more. That is the American way. I want more. You ever run into somebody, an American who doesn't want more? You're like, you, you must be from a different country. You know, we want, in this country, we always want more, right? Success is defined by climbing the proverbial ladder. It's like, what's next for me? How can I gain more influence, more prominence? That is always the goal. Jesus suggests that that might not actually be healthy in regards to your emotions and your feelings. I, I want, I want more. Be, be leery of that desire. Why do you want more? Jesus says, he goes on, he says, now I want you to consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how more, much more value are you than the birds, than the birds? Now, I've been looking for practice practical exercises we can do to help anxiety in our life, and I found two tonight, and I cannot wait to share them with you. The last, I'll show you the first one now, and then I'm gonna wait to the very end to send you, to give you the last one, because Jesus gives us two actual, actual, literal, practical exercises we can do when we are battling fear, worry, and crippling anxiety. And the first is, go for a nature walk, and I'm not even joking. He says, consider the ravens. Or, if you don't like ravens, find another bird you like. <laughs> consider the ravens. And then you go down, it says, and consider the lilies. And here's, here's a practical, this is this, we're talking, putting things in proportion, putting things in their place. Literally, and I, I grew up in a church movement that oftentimes we, we kind of, uh, uh, not devalued nature, but almost ignored nature, but nature is there to tell you the story of the glory of God. It's also to tell you the story of how powerful and wonderful and caring and wonderful. The ecosystem itself declares the care and the provision that God gives to us. And guess who the centerpiece of creation is? It is you. You are the primary source of his love. You, you, he died for you. He didn't die for the birds, didn't die for the whales, didn't die for the oceans, didn't die for the mountains, didn't die for the trees. He died for you. Now, all that will be restored, but you were the focus of his attention, and you were the focus of his forgiveness, and you were the focus of his love. So when you go for a walk, it can be a nature drive if you prefer, okay? It can be a nature bike, okay? It can be a nature scooter or whatever. They're everywhere, dear God, right? But get out there, pause, put your phone down, and just think about it. Just think about it. Watch, watch the waves come in. Watch the ecosystem work. Listen to the birds chirp. Feel the sand under your feet. 
Watch how these trees, I mean, Jesus says, watch the birds. They're not stressed. They're not stressed, right? I mean, that's the beauty. That's the beauty. Rise here. He loves dogs. Always telling me about his dogs, right? And he's got a cute little dog. It really is cute. But that dog, only thing that dog is stressed about is just being around his owner. It's like, it's this basic, simple, like you look at these animals, they're not stressed. And these birds, it says they, 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 they need to sow nor reap. They don't have big old savings account and checkings account. He says, but I take care of them. How much more valuable are you? How much more valuable are you? Man, we get so myopic, don't we? We get tunnel vision. All we can see is, I don't have this, they have this, she has that, he has that, I need this. Sometimes we need to put it all down and literally just digest, ingest, take in all of what God has put into motion. He says, I want you to look at the flowers. I, want you, I love fresh flowers. If I had it my way, I, I would have fresh flowers every single day day, okay? I got to sell a few more books before I do fresh flowers every single day, okay? But every single day, I would have fresh flowers. But it's amazing. You ever have fresh flowers in your house or your condo or you and your roommate? And then they're like, wow, so beautiful. So you can almost watch it shrivel and die. And yet God says, look how much, look how much glory, look how much coloration, look how much distinction I put into flowers. And then he calls lilies grass, which is to say flowers is like grass to me. It's nothing compared to you. Listen to the words of Jesus. He can't exaggerate. He says, Solomon, the richest man who has ever lived and will ever live, never had clothes like the flowers. Never had clothes like the flowers. How much more valuable are you? Another observation, look at verse 26. He says, if then you're not able, watch this logical deduction. If you're not able to add a single hour to the span of your life, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, Jesus asks a very important question. Can anxiety do even a little good for you? Can worry, has worry ever produced an extra hour? Has it ever made you an inch taller? Has it ever been productive to be fearful and worried and anxious. No, scientifically now, phys physically, we actually can prove it's just the opposite. It's actually hurting us physically. It's like my friend waking up and his heart's pounding out of his chest. He's going to the doctor. The doctor's like, you got to slow down. You're doing too much. You're carrying too much. What you're focused on is overwhelming you. Jesus says, hey, side note, while you're on the nature walk, remember, worry doesn't, it doesn't work. So we come now closer to the conclusion closer to the conclusion. I preach much shorter when we're in smaller spaces. Some of you wish we were in smaller spaces more. Verse 29, it says, so don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. That's an interesting verse. It says, don't seek what you're to eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. And it dawns on me what Jesus is saying. He's saying, we worry because we seek after more good food, more good, right? Now the word seek there in that verse literally means to set your heart upon. Ain't nothing wrong with good food and nice clothes. But something very detrimental starts to unfold in your soul and your brain and your body when you set your heart upon things like clothing, food, status, symbol, 
Social media, social media, social media. Wait, I'm sorry, the CD skipped there. Social media. When you set your heart on these things like public perception, position, renown, and when you set your heart upon it, by the way, one of the indicators you've set your heart upon it is it becomes your identity. It becomes your identity. It becomes what you, it becomes what you are rather than just something you're wearing or something you're eating or, or, or a job you temporarily hold. It becomes your entire identity. Jesus says when we set our heart upon these things, many anxieties come. Many anxieties come, right? Okay, so you stop the sermon there and it's like, hey, stop setting your heart upon these things. And that's a very negative approach to life and I don't recommend it, right? You wake up tomorrow morning like, I gotta, I, I gotta stop getting my emotions worked up with my Instagram, right? I'm going to delete my Instagram. Well, maybe your livelihood is dependent on your Instagram post, so don't do that, right? And actually, you actually, it's the only way you do have some clothes and some food, right? So we can overcorrect over and we're like, yeah, I just need to stop doing all of that. Well, a better approach is, well, what should I set my heart on? What should become my identity? What should be my focus? Rather than just telling yourself, no, 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 and, 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 and trying to do it in your own strength, he goes on and he says, hey, all the nations of the world that don't know God, this is how they live. They set their heart upon these things. They make their identity out of what they own and what they possess and what people say and how much money they have. Instead, instead, here's a nice instead for all those battling anxiety, which is, oh, that's right, everybody, okay? Instead, seek his kingdom and all this stuff will just be included. Wait a minute. And by the way, this isn't the only place Jesus says that. He says, set your heart on his kingdom. Set your heart on his kingdom and these things will be added. Well, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. It is righteousness, peace, and joy by the help of the spirit of Jesus. So here's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is two-thirds emotional, and those emotions come from an understanding called righteousness. Jesus says, here's, remember he's talking to only 12 guys. He tells us 12 guys, I want you to orient your life. I want you to set your affection. I want you to inquire about it. I want you to talk about it. I want you to sing about it, think about it, write about it, paint about it if you need to. But I want you to think about righteousness, 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 and that will produce in you a peace and a joy. What is this righteousness that defines the kingdom? It is gifted righteousness. It is imputed righteousness. What does that mean? It means you cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You cannot know enough to warrant it. It simply is given to you by what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus' words still ring true today. He said, it is finished. What is finished? The great divide between sinful man and a holy God was finally bridged by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All the wrong we did has been covered with the finished work of Jesus. And by simply accepting and receiving, not earning or deserving, we literally categorically become righteous with our creator. He says, that is what defines my kingdom. Think about righteousness. Think about the gift of Jesus. Think about what he did on the cross. Remember what he said. Remember who he is. Remember his ways. Get together, share meals, share a table, get some coffee, get some bread, gluten-free, whatever. And talk about Jesus and you will have transcendent Peace of joy, not circumstantial emotions. This peace and joy is not connected to your job, to your clothes, to your food, or to your social media. This peace and joy is connected to one thing, that you were made righteous 
with your creator by Jesus. And that ensures you are forgiven forever. Past, present, future sin, you are forgiven forever. The message is clear. Jesus obviously is saying this before the cross. He is wetting the appetite of his 12 disciples. They're like, what kind of life is this? What kind of thinking is this? This is not law living. This is the, recept- this is the receiving of the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus. And it goes on and he says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. That little flock means my dearest friends. Remember, he's only talking to 12 guys. He's only talking to 12 guys. I'd like to suggest that this is best practice in a little flock, which is one of the reasons that our passion right now at Church Home is to everything we do lead to -to face-to-face connection with people, that we're not just filling buildings, we're not just throwing up events, we're not just having conferences, but literally we can use technology, we can use facilities and buildings and office spaces to lead people to -to face-to-face. And what I mean by face-to-face is, hey, my name's Judah, what's your name? Let's get to know each other. Let's, let's, let, we live in the same area. Let's start having coffee. Hey, I'll pay. No, 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 we'll fight over the bill. We start being generous with each other and loving each other, and we start talking about, hey, let's talk about righteousness. Let's talk about how good God is. Let's talk about how forgiven we are. Let's talk about how loved we are. I'm telling you, Jesus is, is giving us huge hints. This is what will produce a peace and a joy that culture and stuff and status does not and cannot offer. Fear not, little flock. I got a vision to have millions of little flocks all over the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? People that actually know each other. And maybe it's only 12 people or eight people or six people, but, but you, you know someone and you are known. And that's I believe a lot of what God's saying and, 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 and what I love about this is he says, I want you to seek the kingdom. And then in the very same breath, in the very next verse, he says, it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love Jesus because he says what you're seeking, I'm already giving. What you're seeking, I'm already giving. That's how this works. This is not hide and go seek. God is not a maniacal God who's like, come and find me. Takes us 12 years to find him. And he's like, oh, you're a good finder. Only good finders and good chasers get blessed by God. No, this is not a race to the fastest and the swiftest and the brightest and the best. And No, 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 no. This is for ordinary broken people who are like, seek first the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give it to you. It's a promise that God is going to show you righteousness. He's gifted you righteousness. You don't have to go on a wild goose chase to figure out God. And any notions of that that you have received over the years, yes, the word seek literally means to inquire. It means to get together. It means to share a meal. It means to talk about it. But Jesus says, I'm already giving you the kingdom. I'm giving you the kingdom. It's not hard to find. Forgiveness isn't hard to find. God's love isn't hard to find. He's present. He's amongst us. He loves us. I love that. Can you just hear the tone? Oh, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure. It thrills him to give you the kingdom. Notice you don't earn it or deserve it. You just receive it. You just receive it. And one of the ways we realize what we have received is we talk about it and we continue to inquire about it and we spend time together in community about it. Not just attending services, but attending to one another's needs and meeting one with another. I promise I'm coming to a close. Three minutes and 46 seconds. On my 41st birthday, I'm attempting to preach the shortest sermon in my adult life. <laughs> Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can I, this, this is not my conclusion. Bear with me. 
Can you imagine rolling home? Some of you don't have kids. I got kids. Ed has kids. Elijah has kids. You know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine coming home to your like eight-year-old, nine-year-old? I got a 10-year-old. Let's say it's my 10-year-old little Gracie. And I come home. She just got home from school. And I walk in the, in the living room. And she goes, oh, Dad, I'm so worried. I'm going to go, what, baby girl? What are you worried about? Did you pay the mortgage this month? I just got to know. Then I would be like, girl, sit down. I'm talking about mortgage. I just, I'm very concerned. And what is our mortgage monthly, Dad? And do you have enough? You know, I would be like, little girl, listen, sit down. You, right? And you're laughing right now, and people are laughing right now on the app because it's like, that's not, you, psh, girl, that's adult stuff. That's what makes me a good dad. I wonder sometimes if we're down here pining away, toiling away, going, God, I don't know, I, I need a job. I need, I need, and God's like, well, you, you are so cute. That is literally what I do. You don't have to be worried. That, that is what a good father does. Dad, am I going to have pants to wear tomorrow at school? Oh, baby girl, you, you're going to have multiple pairs of pants. I'm a good father. I'm going to take care of you. In conclusion, in light of this, look at verse 33. It gets radical. This is, this is my last practical exercise I'm going to leave you with when it comes, when you're feeling anxious. Get some friends, get a little flock, get a little food, have a little fun. Like, okay, Judah, relax. <laughs> Keep going, you know. Get a little funky. Like, Judah, it's weird, okay? But, but seriously, get together, talk about righteousness, focus on what makes the kingdom, it, it, it sink into that peace and joy that's transcendent, not circumstantial. And then, and then here it is. Here's the takeaway. Can't be clear. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that are in eternity. They don't grow old with treasures in heaven that doesn't fail where robbers and thieves and moth can't destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. If we believe this, if we believe the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and who he reveals the heavenly father as, here's the concluding question for everybody and everybody watching. Um, what are you currently holding on to? Or, let me say it like this, what has a hold of you? And what I mean by that is, what in your life, it could be actually a physical possession, it could be an emotional disposition, it could be recognition, it could be the appreciation you get from others. What is something right now that you will not be open-handed with. Just think about it. Because here is an exercise to minimize anxiety, but it's steeped in God reality. If you believe God's real, you believe God's good. You know what I think when you do? And I'm being, I'm being dead serious. Yes, I think it's a metaphor. Yes, I think to consider the ravens and the lilies can be a metaphor, but I actually think more than metaphor, it's actually literal. He tells these 12 guys, sell whatever has your heart if it's not for me. In other words, because he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's how that verse can read. The more and more you see your heart turning towards heaven, you will know your treasure is in the right place. So whatever in your life, whether possessions, things, friends, status, whatever it is, if it is turning your heart more towards forever, more towards eternity, more towards, that's right, home, Keep those things. Keep at those things. But what in your life does the opposite? 
What in your life gives you tunnel vision? What in your life gives you that myopic view? And all you can think about is career and me and self. And what I got, ah, and I'm not, and I'm not keeping up. I need more. I'm too old. Why am I doing? I'm not married. I'm the, and you just get all what, what, and, and I'm telling you, it could be a car. It could be clothes. It could be all kinds of different relationships. What is it that you're like, God, you can have, I'm cool with, but no, I got, no, this isn't an option. Basically, Jesus is telling his 12 guys in his climactic conclusion, he's like, I want you to live open-handed. And so I got up this morning and I, I got done studying this and I went up to, to, to our room and, and, and had to wake Chelsea up because I'm usually an early riser to seek the Lord. It's not a big deal, but um, I'm kidding. She was already up. But I literally, I said, how are we doing? A generous man makes generous plans. I believe in a God who provides. Are we holding on to stuff? Is it complicating our life? Are we getting worked up? Do we got too many mirrors, too many rims? You know, you know what I mean? Like, do we, I'm using this metaphor. We painted so many walls. We're worried more about walls than broken friends and family and loved ones and people in L.A. and cities all over the world that don't know the loving, gracious forgiveness of God? Have I, have, I, have I become a product of all this stuff that I'm collecting? Who am I collecting this stuff for? Remember the story. It's like you worked your whole life to get all, this, all these toys, and then you die. And what then? Remember what Jesus said. He said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus is not mad at your toys. He's just saying if your toys distract you from growing rich in your relationship with God, let go of some of the toys. And I told y'all, I said, we need to give some stuff away. Just the exercise of going, I don't need this. What am I holding on to this for anyways? Now, I want you to think about it. In all of church history, and I'm, I'm going to close, and I'm pretty much right on my time. In all of church history, right now, in Iran, Iran, and I said this, this last week, we believe the largest church in the history of the world right now is in Iran. It's mostly women, and it numbers over a million in Iran as we speak. I think an article came out, I don't know if it was Wall Street Journal or something, and, and what they're writing about is this spontaneous generosity with everything they own and possess. I'm telling you, it's always a sign that God is moving in people's lives. Is all of a sudden you go from this, no, it's fine, to, yeah, you, yeah, here. And it's this open-handed, open-hearted life that consequently sets you free from worry, fear, and anxiety. I said this last few weeks. The first world is where anxiety is at an astronomical high. In the third world, with less possessions and stuff, anxiety is not an epidemic. It's as if the prophet himself, Jesus, predicted these days. Predicted these days. Listen to, listen to who he's, he's talking to a man who's being greedy. He tells a story of a very wealthy man, right? He's talking to, he's talking to people who have wealth and opportunity, and I think it speaks so much to us. I want to remind you now, God wants to bless you, take care of you. I will pray with you for your job, for your career, for an increase. And find, that, that, that's not the point. But boy, when you start living for stuff and you miss out on all the riches of Jesus, it's oftentimes when anxiety can grow. 
I, I look into our future. I look into your future. I look into all of our lives, and I just, I do. I, I, I got caught up this morning thinking, I dream about a church that we just, this becomes a way of life for us. It becomes a way of life for us. Nobody has to get up on a mic and say, hey, let's all give to, we just are giving. We're just givers. Everywhere we go, just, yeah, here, you can have it, yeah. You know, and not, none of us consider what we own as our own. But it belongs to God, and our life is one big stewardship. And we just end up living like this. And what's wild is it sounds noble and wonderful, but just for a moment, allow it to be somewhat selfish. You will actually be less anxious. You'll be less anxious. And what you'll find is the more you give and the more you're just open to giving. Is that okay to say it like that? Not even just giving, but just willing at any moment. At any moment. I honestly believe not only will anxiety go down, the camaraderie, the love, the care, the concern, these little flocks will begin to grow. And that's, that's, what, that's, that's what we see in the future. And I believe not only does that happen in Iran, it happened in the early church, and I believe it's going to happen in this country. And things like anxiety are going to be crushed and dissipated when we live, love, and look like Jesus. And I look forward to days where literally people who don't know Jesus or know our community are going to run into some of us. And what will strike them is not our beauty, and it is wonderful, but what will strike them is our peace and our joy and our generosity and our kindness and our care that we look more and more like Jesus. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I thank you for the moments that we share. And God, just thinking about your teachings and your ways, it's, it's so revolutionary. You are so amazing and you're so extraordinary. And we love you and we thank you for minutes and moments like these. Thank you, God. I just with eyes closed, you know, wherever you are watching, if you're here in this space or any of the spaces watching or even in your own home, then you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness and be righteous, be right with God forever and spend eternity with him. All it takes is a moment of receptivity, a moment simply of acceptance. If you would like to accept Jesus, I'm gonna do what I always do, whether in Seattle or LA, I'm just gonna count to three. And wherever you are, even if it's in a cafe, you can just kind of lift up your hand just a little bit on the count of three, because I do believe when we physically respond to what's happening to us spiritually, on the inside. It just makes it more real. So if you'd like to receive this free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, on the count of three, you can just slip up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. If that's you, just slip up your head and you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. God, I thank you that forgiveness flows freely at church home in all the spaces and rooms and places where people are gathering and watching. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. Now, God, we're so grateful. I do ask that you would give us the strength to consider the birds, consider the flowers, consider your gifted righteousness, and in all of this, begin more and more to live these open-hearted, open-handed lives. God, show us that there's things we need to let go of, things we need to give up, things we need to give away. So be it. We welcome that, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.